0: Have you been called to do something bigger, something more meaningful with your life? Welcome to the Leap to Purpose Podcast, where we explore the stories of those that have taken an entrepreneurial leap to follow their dreams and live their purpose. Hi, and welcome to the Leap to Purpose podcast. I'm Kurt Black, your host, and today my guest is Joya Doss. Joy is the founder of the Women's Leadership Academy, and today I talked to her about her career as a successful business news anchor, where she reported from the floor of the New York Stock Exchange for major networks such as Bloomberg, CNN, and others. But she ultimately ended up developing a sense that she hadn't created anything beautiful in her life. So we explore her story of founding the Women's Leadership Academy, talk about the power of storytelling, the courage to be vulnerable, and the power of mindset. So with that, let's hear from Joya. Welcome, Joya. How are you?
1: Kurt, it's great to be with you. Good morning.
0: Good morning. Well, I appreciate you coming on. And um, I really uh, am excited. I kind of looked at your website and looked at some of the things you're doing. And it's uh, really interesting. So um, just to get started, why don't you um, just tell everyone a little bit about yourself and, and kind of uh, just a highlight of what you're doing right now?
1: Sure. Um, So by training and by profession for the last 20 years, I've been a news anchor here in New York City. And very specifically, I covered the financial markets from the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. My business today is that I am deeply committed to women's leadership. So I have a leadership platform where I'm really teaching best practices around self-leadership, networking, and how to get ahead in your career. Um, But my business was truly born out of a personal pain point. Um, My parents are Indian immigrants, and I think they came to this country making a huge quantum leap, which I respect and understand. But they also came with these scripts and a very prescriptive style of how they were going to raise their children. And then you double that for girls. Mm. So I was American born. And I have known since I was four years old that I wanted to be a news anchor. And when I announced that to my parents, it wasn't something they could get behind emotionally. And it wasn't something they could get behind financially. It was just too far from what they knew and what was familiar. Um, But I'm not somebody who's ever going to live my life on anybody else's terms. So I left my home at 18 and I paid for college by myself and I paid for grad school by myself and I paid for every move around the country so I could come to New York City and be a news anchor. Now, that also meant that I was on my own throwing spaghetti at the wall trying to figure out how to make things work. I didn't have a role model. I didn't have a mentor. So I really had to become super scrappy at learning how to network to build that support system that was going to get me to my goal. Mm -hmm. And I realized that no one teaches you this. No one teaches women this. And then even if you begin to learn by observing others, where do you go to practice? Right. And so I really at the 10 year mark of my career decided to create the platform for that conversation to happen because Indian women are raised to be married off like chattel. Mm -hmm. And when then do we have the conversation about becoming CEO, becoming COO, or in my case, becoming a news anchor? And I was like, I'm very committed to creating that space for that brand of conversation to happen. Mm -hmm. And that is what is at the beating heart of what my business is and what I do today.
0: That's awesome. And yeah, so I kind of uh paid for graduate my own graduate school as well and i kind of went through college and got to the end of undergrad and realized i didn't that wasn't really what i wanted to do so i kind of took a little shift and and went to grad school too but um where in that journey did you realize you wanted to be a news anchor did like did you go to college knowing that's
1: exactly what you wanted to do i've known since i was 4 years old that oh, i wow. wanted to be a news anchor my father every night at 6:30 would turn on NBC Nightly News with Tom Brokaw. And I remember sitting on the floor in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania on this very, very um, green carpet by his legs each night watching TV with him. And Mm -hmm. I think my father being an Indian immigrant watching the news was patently American. But for me, it was my future. Yeah. And I remember I would grab like every eight by 10 piece of paper I could find in the house and spread it around the coffee table because I wanted to mimic the way that Tom Broco had papers spread across his desk. Um, but at the heart of it, like really sort of the subtext of the subtext of that desire is that I love to write. And I've been very fortunate that everything that I've ever done on television, I've written it myself and the bonuses that I get to deliver it. And yeah. so life without writing for me would be like a life without oxygen.
0: Oh, wow, okay. And so how did you end up on the floor in Wall Street? Did, I mean, because did you decide at some point you really were interested in the financial markets or did that just happen think- by chance?
1: My first internship was with the chief financial correspondent of NBC Nightly News. And then my first job out of school was with a division of MSNBC that was streaming the web, the the World Wide Web was just becoming a thing in 1997. And so Mm -hmm. anybody who missed the CEO interviews that happened at the seven o'clock hour on CNBC with Mark Haynes. Were being recorded and repurposed so people could come back and revisit them throughout the day and that was my job i came in came in at four thirty in the morning to record them package them up create a little summary and have that on the web for other people to access so my my ideas of business news started very early but if you got to know me you'd know that i'm very no-nonsense i'm very mm-hmm. black and white and so doing business news really fit with that personality. If you want to send me off to go cover a cat being in a tree, burn down their house because of chicken on the stove, like don't send me because I don't care. Right. I do love the intelligence and I do love the science and the math and the technology that goes into explaining your money and why it's important to you.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I remember watching a lot of that back in the late nineties, early two thousands. And it was just, I mean, you couldn't get enough of the kind of the internet boom and all these technology companies. Um, so that's really interesting. So let's fast forward to kind of what you're doing now. And I I really want to know kind of where did you get the seed for this idea and the, the Academy and like, how did you just kind of get that started? And it was a, was it a tough transition for you to kind of leave the security of this thing you had always dreamed of doing and, and starting your own thing?
1: people always ask me, why did you leave television? And I haven't left television. I still go, I still drop back in because I get called in to to do business news. I, in 2010, my contract had come up with Channel 7. And I thought to myself, uh, that's the ABC station here in New York. It's the number one station in the country. But I was like, I just came off with this huge job, the biggest job of my life But I'm looking back at my body of work. It's been 10 years and I don't feel like I have anything that I can say on my deathbed I was proud of Mm. because I did morning news and it's business news and you're just getting it out and you're getting it out and you're getting it out, but you're never stopping to make anything beautiful. So I started a a documentary production company on the side because I very much wanted to tell longer stories and I wanted to take the time to be able to revise them and make them beautiful. And so I uh, got a partner. Because I was still on the air, and my partner had started something called Lady Drinks in Toronto, which is a way for women in film and TV to come together every month for a meetup to network and get jobs. She had moved to New York. We decided to form this production company together, and she said, Hey, Joya, could we start Lady Drinks in New York? Now, an important detail of my partner is that Greta was English. And that first event, second event, third event that I hosted in the spirit of business development for this production company eight women, 40 women, 30 women were showing up and all of them were Indian. (laughs) All of them were Indian because I didn't realize while I was behind the camera lens that an entire generation of girl had grown up watching me on TV at a time when no Indian women were on mainstream television. Hmm. And they were now coming to share that they were doing something out of the Indian parent approved doctor, lawyer, engineer. Everybody was a this and a that. They had a little entrepreneurial venture that they were doing on the side and they wanted to share with me that they were doing this. And that was when I realized that I was in a place of responsibility, whether I liked it or not. I also had access to so many CEOs and so many luminaries, how could I start to connect those dots to create Hmm. teaching moments? Because while I was having impact in one way behind the television screen, this is where I was really seeing the impact. This is where the rubber was hitting the road and I was seeing a direct result of my efforts. So that was when I started to run this uh, leadership platform in earnest on the side while I was on the air. I ran it on the side for seven years, but in all my free time in between my shots, I was working on events. I was working on building this business. And finally there came a time where it was just time to stop doing two things half ass and do one thing. Well, I'm a big fan of the statement that focus trumps talent any day. And mm-hmm. if this thing, if this thing had become the bigger brand, I owed it the time, the energy, and the focus to be able to make it profitable and run it as a full-time business. Now, going back to the question, people always ask me, do I miss TV? I haven't left TV. I haven't left journalism. I'm just now managing the entire ecosystem from the time that I meet Misty Copeland to interviewing Misty Copeland in front of my community. I own that entire ecosystem versus when I was at a CNN, just because I have a relationship with a Misty Copeland and I bring her through the door doesn't necessarily mean that the powers that can be will say, well, Joya, you get to interview her. Now mm. I do. And I have that autonomy and I have, I'm doing more writing and more uh, moderating than I've ever done in the entire time that I was on TV.
0: <laughs> um, so uh, that's really cool that how, uh, so when you first kind of um, started realizing you were attracting all these women, like what, how did you actually decide to create an academy? Like, I guess what, I mean, you, you were attracting the women, but like, how did you put that together? or How did you decide what the curriculum would be or what you could actually teach them?
1: Well, first of all, that was 10 years in the making. My business turned yeah. this year, but that, don't forget that I've come from, at that point, a 10-year background in television. Right. So even though I was in front of the camera, I was always remote. So that meant that anytime the technical stuff would go down or anytime you couldn't hear me or see me, that still fell on me. So I was a very self-sufficient production person as well as being talent and so the idea of how you put a timeline together how you put a production together is part of my DNA it's 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 second nature to me and it's something that I can pull off in minutes so putting together an event was very much already embedded in my in my genetic makeup by the time I decided that I was going to start putting on these events to be able to connect or interview, uh, you know the CEO of Vimeo in front of a group of 60 women I would say the harder part and the steeper learning curve was in the sales Mm. because I really had to learn. And I'm still learning what sales is because you can throw all the events in the world, but if you don't have butts in seats, you don't have an event. So the sales process is a continual learning process for me.
0: Yeah. That one is the tricky. I work with a lot of clients that run events and putting butts in seats is tricky. And it got trickier with COVID, You know, obviously that put a damper on a lot, a lot of live events, but, you know, even so it's always been the challenge, um, for people to, you know, because people have to make, even if they want to come, there's the challenges of the, their schedules and time and can they get away and so forth. So, um, what, you know, what would you say was, uh, your, like, how did you learn to do that? Did you take a course? Did you get coaching? Like what, I mean, what did you do to help you with the sales aspect? And I know you're still learning, but what?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I've hired a lot of coaches. I don't Mm -hmm. think that when you're starting off in your entrepreneurial journey that you need to make this any more painful than it needs to be. There are people that are out there, people like yourself that are hired guns that can train you in this. Um, Did I learn by watching other people? Yes, that's that's how I built an entire career. But I also learned by trial and error. I also learned by hiring coaches, having a recorded call, going back and dissecting it piece by piece and saying, well, this is what you did right, this is what you did wrong. And I think that that's something that's even applicable today. Mm -hmm. Doing a postmortem after... I've done 16 sales calls. Well, what worked, what didn't work? What was my close ratio? Really getting intimate with those numbers is a huge piece of your success in sales because the numbers don't lie.
0: Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm, I'm a big numbers person and analytics. And um, I, I love what you're talking about the trial and error, because I think a lot of people are afraid to fail, um, you yeah. know, and it, but it really is about trying and testing and, you know, tweaking. And if if, If one thing doesn't work, uh, you know, a a lot of people look at these really successful coaches that have huge programs and it just looks effortless in their sales. And that didn't happen like overnight or immediately. That took a lot of failing and bad pitches and bad, you know, uh, marketing ideas and so forth to get to that point. So
1: if I can leave you though, with like one piece of like sort of sales gold. Yeah. Thing that I've learned recently is that you've got to go to market talking about something bigger than the product or service that you sell. So for example, I do a lot of storytelling and and really deep experiential storytelling around self-leadership. Here is a situation that I was in, but here's what I learned about it. So this morning I posted about the fact that I was the last one in and cast for a TED Talk back in 2013. And in this series was Barbara Corcoran and Jimmy Briggs and uh, the Dean of Barnard College, this entire lineup of luminaries. And then they were like, well, we were casting you as the last one in. All right, fine. And then you get, you know, dunked into this very intense process of getting ready for a TED Talk. So I, I detailed and took the reader by the hand through that process of me getting ready for that. But then I talked about, here's my learning from going through that experience. Number one is that take the time to tell your story in a very polished way because there's valid and there's merit in your personal story. And I don't think that a lot of us take time to workshop that. And that was probably the most polished telling of my story. And since then, I have given that talk at least 13 to 20 times and I've been paid for it. I've just tailored the ending for the needs of my audience. So I think that it's really important to workshop your story. The second thing that I would share is that you've got to be able to build an experience. If you are after influence, you've got to tell a very detailed story with sense, smell, taste, sight, and engaging all of those parts of the brain. So that person is just in your world that is how you have influence. And then I think the last thing is, um, you know, personal stories are just easier to tell. I see countless people get up and they're just trying so hard to be so buttoned up and professional, but your personal stories actually have a place in your leadership and a personal story. Guess what, is going to be easier to tell. If you ever watch anybody give a Ted talk, they're not up there with like a podium and notes. They are right. just up there, riffing but they Mm -hmm. have worked very very hard to weave that personal story into this bigger message and they spent a lot of time workshopping that so I think that make it easier on yourself
0: absolutely I've worked yeah so let me ask you because this is a question that I um, hear a lot of people ask all the time is like how far do you think it's appropriate to go like if if you have like a traumatic traumatic story or you know because people are always worried about that balance of being professional but really kind of I mean because stories are about reaching people at the heart right and so and and to get there you need to go sometimes kind of deep and be vulnerable so what's that a balance in your mind between vulnerability and professionalism and can you go too far
1: I love that question First of all, I think a lot of people come to me for public speaking training because they want confidence. They're like, I see you have it. I want it. What Mm -hmm. they come out with is actually courage. I think Mm -hmm. it takes a lot of courage to be able to be that vulnerable in front of a group. Now, here's the rub. When you tell me about a traumatic story, I'm a product of a home of domestic violence. I do a lot of public speaking about that. Mm -hmm. However, I don't have any emotional charge around that topic anymore because I've already done the healing on it. So if you're going to talk about something that's still a fresh wall wound and you're going to get that emotional in telling it, that's not the story you should choose to tell. Tony Robbins very regularly talks about the fact that his mother used to beat him, but he doesn't say that with a great deal of emotion because he's already processed the healing around that. But it's a very important piece of what has formed the man that we know today. My coming from a home of domestic violence is a very important piece That informs why i am the woman that i am today and why i do women's work now here's the here's the important piece you can share that story Mm -hmm. provided you've done the healing but don't turn it into a dear diary entry because nobody wants to be like oh i feel so bad for you you've got to be able to process and share with the audience your gift to the audience is this is what i've learned by coming out on the other side of this. So it's Dear Diary if you're just gonna share your trauma. It's a gift to your audience if you're actually gonna share, here are my takeaways. And this is how you get your audience to see themselves
0: Mm -hmm. in
1: those learnings. And you need to create those me too moments. And this is something that I teach in my masterclass, but you've got to be willing to go there and you've got to be willing to be that vulnerable. There's too yeah. much noise out there right now. There's way too many people producing videos and talking about things. How are you gonna break through the noise? And the only way you're gonna do it is by being that true authentic self and showing up with all of it, the good, the bad, and the ugly.
0: Mm-hmm, yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, it's stories are what capture. I mean, it's why you go into a movie and for an hour and a half, two hours get lost and just forget about everything else. You're so captivated by the story. Uh, if it's done well, that that you forget. And and so I, I totally agree with that.
1: There's science behind this, by the way. If I may, one more thing. Yeah, there's please. science behind this. We have three brains. And this is just like a primal thing, the way we've been formed. And we've got the reptilian brain, we've got the prefrontal cortex, and there's another part of our brain. When you tell stories, let me back up a second. When you just share facts, it takes 8,000 liters of water to create a pair of genes. Only two parts of your brain are actually engaged. But when you tell a story with sight, sound, smell, taste, you are engaging all three brains. And I don't think that people understand that Mm. that that's where you have impact, that's where you have influence it goes back to the way that we used to share and our ancestors thousands of years ago shared information. They sat around a campfire and they shared stories. That's how information and history got passed down. We haven't evolved. Our brains haven't evolved past that. So, I mean, the way to captivate a room, I don't care who you are, you've got a story and you've got to have the courage and be able to workshop that story and be able to tell it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Do you like with everything kind of going online and a lot of this marketing done online, do you feel it's harder to tell stories like that um, like in a video or on zoom or you know uh, remotely versus in a room with people
1: i think it's harder because people don't understand things are distracting so yes. in other words i remember coaching a gal who was going to be on national tv and she works for realtor.com and her whole background had plants and toys and her dog, and I was like, first of all, you don't ever want anything to detract from the message that you are telling. You were doing yourself a disservice by having all this stuff in the background, but people don't know that, right? Yeah. Or the fact that you need to have eye contact, the minute that you break eye contact, like I'm looking at you right now in the right. lens, I'm not looking down at you, I'm looking right, right. here. The right. minute you don't give people eye contact, you give them permission to start thinking about their laundry list, going to the grocery, what I yeah. got to do on Saturday. So So don't give people permission to wander off and do their own thing. So I think that there's just innate things that I know from my training as a television anchor that a lot of people don't know now that they are trying to have impact and sell and build relationships in this modality. But there's just some simple things that you can do to be able to change that. Like I always face a window. I Most people you'll see, they look like you know the Blair Witch Project because the window is behind them. You don't understand that the way that you light yourself is by always facing the light, face the sun. Natural light does wonders for you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you probably have a lot of, um, knowledge and expertise around kind of the execution of that and, and that you can share. Do you also, uh, sorry, I'm going to geek out on stories because I, I yeah. love it, but um, do you teach people kind of the strategy of developing it once they've kind of figured out what core stories um, I want to tell that that strategically link to what I'm trying to, to the message I'm trying to leave? There is sort of a, science to that too, isn't there? Like with the story arc and a lot of that. I love that
1: you're asking me this because I teach a public speaking masterclass and I actually am now actively filling for that cohort and it starts next week. But I teach a very specific framework, which is every story has a beginning, a middle and an end. The beginning is what I promise you. Today I'm gonna break down the quarterly numbers for you and how we did year over year. Or today I'm gonna tell you a story about why I admire Michelle Obama. Then the middle is a personal story. Again, personal stories are easier to tell. Why? Because you live them. You're in it. It's mm-hmm. not going to be something you got to like, you know, work and practice. You live that. So you're telling the story like you'd be telling your sister or your best friend. But what is a personal story that supports that promise that you made at the very beginning? If I told you that I admire Michelle Obama as my role model, I'll tell you about the time that I heard her speak at the United States of Women Conference in Washington, DC. And she was in conversation with Oprah. And it is hard to eclipse Oprah. But that day she was so unapologetic because this was a moment in time where the Obamas were leaving office. They've already been there. They were on their way out. There's a changing of the guard. She was so unapologetic and so sure of the woman that she was that that day she managed to eclipse Oprah. And she was very unapologetic about her love for her husband. She was very unapologetic about her love for her father. Um, who raised her in the South side of Chicago. And she was very unapologetic about the fact that women need to be their best advocates. I think I remember that very clearly, but I'm very rarely moved to tears by a public speaker and I am a public speaker and I was moved to tears Mm. that day. So the ending then goes back to what I said earlier. It's It's a dear diary entry if I don't kind of tie it up in a bow in the end and tell you, here's what I took from Michelle Obama's speech. You know, there is no shame, no matter how big the platform that you are on to be vulnerable. She talked about the fact that she took her husband to marriage, uh, marriage counseling. Mm -hmm. And she was like, you know, men, women take men to marriage counseling saying ostensibly fix this man. But she came out of that saying, I understood through counseling that I am the most important steward of my own happiness and nobody else, including my husband can be entrusted with that. Those are gems and pearls that your audience gets to take away, marinate on, and maybe even activate as soon as tomorrow. You know, so you take it from beginning, I love Michelle Obama, she's my role model, to personal story, I saw her speaking, to here are my takeaways from the time that I heard her. And that becomes the framework that I teach for every woman entering into my class. And again, I think they come in expecting to have confidence. And what they come out on the other end is learning to have courage to knit those very personal stories to an actionable item for somebody listening to them.
0: That's, yeah, that's amazing. And that, I mean, that's a skill, whether you wanna be an entrepreneur and start your own thing or wanna be a leader within a larger organization.
1: Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So let me ask you this kind of, uh, One final question Um, in your journey of kind of building this academy and, and this leadership um, role you've moved into, I'd love to just kind of ask people about biggest lessons learned, or, you know, if there's something you would do differently, kind of now that you can look back on it, is there something you would do differently or a a major lesson learned is kind of a mistake?
1: A thousand percent. I would have worked on my mindset much, much earlier. You know, in the last couple of years, I've enrolled in a number of masterminds because I wanted to eventually launch my own. But I always wondered why we spent a day, a day and a half in any mastermind meetup or retreat on mindset. I'm like, when are we going to talk about Facebook ads? When are we Damn. going to talk about business strategy? Yeah. And now I understand that the mindset piece is like the cement foundation that you lay for a house. You cannot build the house until that foundation is set. And I wish that somebody had told me this so much earlier because it wasn't until I built a spiritual practice. It wasn't until I built a meditation practice and really made that the thing that never gets crossed off my to-do list, that everything changed. Absolutely. My worthiness changed what I command in the price and the market changed because I had to visualize, I had to affirm, I had to take time for all that creativity and give it space to bubble up. And nobody, again, nobody teaches you this stuff. They don't teach it in school. Maybe they do now. I don't know. But if I had been able to go back and tell my 20-year-old self how important mindset is, I would go back and and do a masterclass. (laughs) In fact, I should probably do one now on what it means to have that mindset as an entrepreneur.
0: Absolutely. Uh, Gosh, I couldn't. Um, emphasize that more. That, like so important. And everybody wants to hop into the tactics. And like you said, and um, uh, what's the quote that whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Um, yeah.
1: Was that Henry Ford that said that?
0: Yeah, I believe that's Henry Ford. But uh, yeah, it's so true. I mean, if you go into it thinking, I mean, it's so much more powerful than having the right strategies and tactics and tools and systems
1: don't get me wrong those things are all 100% important and that is like a big piece of my work right now but it, it, the mindset piece it's like going out into the ocean without your rudder yeah. you know like you're not gonna you're not gonna make that much distance if you don't have the motor and you don't have the rudder
0: absolutely well I really appreciate it I mean I've loved the uh, loved our conversation um And uh, I guess last question for you would be if someone out there is listening and they would love to get in touch with you or learn more about you, how would they do that?
1: Sure, you can just email me at joya at joyadas.com. Uh, J O Y A D A S S. And you can find me on Twitter. You can find me on Instagram. You can find me on LinkedIn under Joya das. It's very easy to find me. It's an unusual name. So not many people have it. But that, I'm very, it's very easy to get a hold of me on social. And like I said, I am filling for that ne- next cohort of my public speaking masterclass. It starts next Wednesday. And I still have a few seats open and I would love to have you.
0: Okay. Well, I'll make sure all that information is in the show notes so people can access that. And, uh, you know, I just really appreciate your time and I've uh, really loved our conversation today. It's super, um, fascinating. I love storytelling and stories and the whole, your whole background is just perfect for helping teach people that.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for the time. Kurt.
0: All right. Have a great day. Thank you. Right. Thanks for listening to the leap to purpose podcast. You can learn more about us and join the community at leap See you there.